Welcome to Coaching the Coach. I'm your host, Pete Townley, for the Upstate Performance Project. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. Hope everyone's having a great afternoon. I want to let you know that today our show is being sponsored by our own PASS CISA Strength Program. Power, Agility, Speed and Strength, PASS CISA Strength. Um, it is a program that is designed to uh, for athletes um, to increase your speed, power, and agility, as it would imply. Uh, but basically, injury, injury prevention, uh, drills to help you turn over your feet. We know to get faster, we need to increase stride length and stride frequency. Those are uh, two of the big components. And so when we are developing that, we, we do a lot of drills that help with that, but we also want to just get generally stronger. So our program kind of packs it all together, the speed, the strength, the mobility work, everything that needs to go into making a quality athlete. That being said, if you're not here in Greenville and can't uh, attend or your athlete can't attend that, we can do it online. I can send you the program. There is a discount on our website. If you go to the website, top of the page, you'll see the CISA Strength Pass program. Just click that link, head on over there, and you can kind of read all about the program. Breaks it down a little bit more, and their promo code is right there on the page. Save you 10%. Okay, jumping right into today's uh, coaching the coach topic. Sorry, got a little distracted there. Um, we want to know... I want to know what you guys are doing to help your athletes progress. What, you know, everything from just progressing from week to week, but also when do you know when to switch things up? And that, that could be a cup for a couple different reasons that we'll talk about. First of all, just jumping right in. What do you do to increase the weights from week to week? Do you just go up 5%, two, two and a half to 5%, you know, upper body or lower body? You know, uh, or do you see, look at their RPE and say, well, it was supposed to be a, a seven and they said it was a nine. So obviously we're going to stay here at this weight for another week or, or do you have s some sort of system? Well, the system that I use and that I was taught by the NSCA national strength and conditioning association was the two by two rule. It's a little bit arbitrary. It's not exact by any stretch of the imagination, but it's actually worked quite well. So when I was a strength coach at Ottawa University, we used this uh, exclusively. That's how I progressed everybody because, again, when I was a strength coach in a big group, it was hard for me. You know, I could look at the percentages and I, and I based a lot off percentage, but when they um, would tell me whether they made all the reps even if they put in the notes that it was hard or easy, I never really saw every single rep, right? I can't see every single repetition from every athlete. So I was basing it off of what they were writing down. So I, it was hard, you know, it was hard to keep track and hard to just blindly bump everybody up to the next, you know, the next week. What, you know, some people were ready for it. Some people weren't. Some people, the percentages were too easy because maybe their maxes weren't a true max that we were basing it off of. So there are a lot of variables there. So the two by two rule helps to really uh, keep you on track. So it states that for two consecutive workouts, 
if you can do an additional two reps on your last set, then you can go up. So for example, if I'm squatting 315, uh, and Monday's my squat day. So I do three sets of five at 315. Then um, on my on that first day, or well, if I can go hit two extra. So if I can hit seven reps on my last set, and then the next week I get to my last set and I can do seven reps, then the next week I can go up uh, in weight. And generally speaking, not always, generally speaking, we'd go up about 5% or so if we're talking lower body and maybe 2.5% for upper body. But that's what I do. And it's provided a lot of really good results, but because it is quantifiable. RPE, there's a little bit of, you know, people can, it's perceived exertion. So you're not, it's not exact. Just basic percentage every week. Just do this every week. This week is 7.1 or 71.7% and then 71.9%. You know, we don't want to necessarily go up just because it's the next week. So there has to be some sort of, you know, progression involved or some sort of, pardon me, system to measure the progression, to really see if we're ready to go up or not. Um, now that makes things a little bit harder uh, when you have a large group. Now it's very easy with one person, but when you have a large group, it becomes a lot more difficult because you have to uh, adjust for that. You have to make sure that, um, you know, you've got some people progressing every week. You've got some people or every two weeks, then you've got some people that it may take four weeks to progress. That's still okay. Cause we're still trying to get stronger. So I might have a progression that starts us off, you know, around 80, 85%. And by the end of the four to six week cycle, we're doing things around 90, 92%. Okay. Let's say that was my kind of range that, that would mean that if, if everything goes according to plan or if everything is perfect in terms of our, our maxes and everything that, that you should be able to progress up to 92% for the, you know, allotted reps and sets that I, that I program for. If you don't, then that means there is something along the way that's inhibiting our strength progress. But if we stick to the two by two rule and we still get more time with that weight before we move up, we still do get stronger. And ultimately, if we get stronger, that's what we're after. In other words, it doesn't matter that I can say, oh, at the end of our strength phase, everyone was lifting 92% for three reps. I mean, that'd be great if we did, but that's not the accomplishment. The accomplishment is everyone got stronger, right? So I'm way more concerned with people getting stronger. It's just like when I used to teach, uh, also at the university, if someone asked me a question at the, in, during the test and they said, I don't understand this multiple choice, I would sit there and help them work through how to eliminate some choices and, and narrow it down and then pick the best fit. And some would say, well, aren't you just giving them the answers? Well, not really giving to them. I'm, I'm trying to get them to make those connections and lead them in the right direction because that's my job as a teacher, right? To lead them to the right answers, to give them the answers. At the end of the semester, doesn't matter if 80% of my students had a A in the class or a B in the class and above or whatever. What matters is that everyone understood the material and then can apply it so that in the next class that builds on that information, they're ready for it. That's the, that's the goal of a teacher. That's what I'm after. So same thing. 
I want whatever phase is coming next is going to, let's say I'm doing a traditional, you know, hypertrophy strength and then power phase. So during my strength phase, if we got stronger, even if we're not all hitting 92% for the two or three reps or whatever I program, if, if everyone's getting stronger, then I know that everyone will be ready for the power phase, which is to take that new newly gained strength and put it into some speed work and really generate more force and power. So anyways, that's what I do. And the two by two rule really helps to keep me on track so that everyone progresses when they are ready. Now, if you recall a few months ago, I talked about uh, program compacting and that's a program that, that's a style of programming that, that I'm working on and uh, not quite ready to launch it yet, but it, it's, it's based off of curriculum compacting. Um, again, drawing from my teaching experience, uh, there's a lot of parallels, right? It's all teaching in, at the end of the day. So that being said, um, what do you guys do? What do you write back? Give me some, some ideas on what you guys do for progression or not just general progression, but you know, when do you know to up it? Right. The other thing I mentioned was talking about when to switch the program up completely. Now, as you know, we do things here very similar to the way I would do it for a sport. We have off season, in season, preseason, postseason, these, these sorts of phases throughout the year. And provided the clients and or athletes goals stay the same or, you know, don't change drastically, we continue through that. So that's what I do, right? Just a very basic progression um, based on or periodization based on, you know, kind of focusing on one thing while maintaining the other and then going back and focusing on that again while maintaining the second thing, so on and so forth. Reduces risk of injury, assures uh, improved performance and, prog and progress, but at the same time uh, is, is definitely very safe and very proven effective. But there's many different ways to do it, many different ways to progress, or not progress, many different ways to program, right? But there's also some considerations when you have athletes or clients that just decide they don't want to do what what we've been doing anymore. I've had clients, I've had a soccer player, uh, one of my, well, not one of my first clients actually, but one of my, uh, it was a client a while back ago, seven, eight, nine years ago. She was a stud soccer player going into her senior year of high school um, and had very strong legs, very muscular legs, could run fast, could jump, very strong, could squat and power clean a lot. Um, and she decided she wanted to be a fashion model. And, you know, training for that is completely different than training for a soccer athlete. So I had, that was a very, you know, we talked with mom, made sure that that's what everybody was on board for before we switched up her training. But the idea is we got into training for that and it, and it worked out really well. Um, the, the, the other thing is, uh, if you notice your client just not having fun or kind of going through the motions or they seem bored, they can stick with the plan and you can check in from week to week to make sure that we're on the same page. They may not love every workout or they, they may be 
lost in thought from work or something and they'll get through the workout but they're not like totally focused that's one thing and you can kind of spot check that but when we're talking about like getting just tired of that phase you know maybe they told you they just want to get generally stronger they want to add some muscle lose some body fat okay so you've got you've been working for months to a year now and been doing that successfully you can judge kind of by their body language how they attack the workouts if their effort level is going down even if they're seeing progress they may not they may not be like totally jazzed on every workout so that's when you can then throw something different their way every once in a while what i'll do is i'll throw a different style of workout that may still be in the ballpark of you know what they're after but it might be a completely different kind of workout, adding more conditioning in, or you know, making it more CrossFit-like or more powerlifting-like, depending on you know what they want. Like a great example, I had a client that again, he just wanted to get a little stronger, you know, add a little bit more muscle and and uh, more mobility. So we worked on mobility quite a bit because that was very limiting, and we added some strength and we got into it. And then one day, um, just as something you know, I thought we would add in because he was. He would come in right as I was finishing my workouts. And that was when I was really heavy into uh, Olympic lifting. I was still competing. And he asked, you know, so what's, you know, what's the benefit of a power clean? Is it just for competition or, you know, so I started telling him more about that. And we had never really done a lot of Olympic lifting because it really wasn't necessary for what we were trying to do. But I thought, oh, let's just try it. You know, I'll take that opportunity. He'll learn a new skill. He ended up loving Olympic lifting, particularly cleans and jerks. And so we started incorporating a lot of that. And then he got really motivated to get stronger. He was more interested in squatting and more interested in pressing and all these things because he wanted that power clean and jerk or full clean and jerk to be, you know, as strong as he could get it. And that was just something that totally changed up just based on, you know, some talking that we had. And that led the program in a completely different direction. But again, sometimes, you know, you just see a lack of effort or interest or, you know, just general excitement. You throw something different their way and it kind of reignites their passion or they get excited about something. Or maybe they're like, oh, I've never thought about working out that way or trying that. That sounds fun. Maybe I'll explore that. The other thing, and this is this is my this is maybe more on the athlete side of things and less just regular clients, although this could you could see this too and I'll, I'll give you an example but you could see an athlete or a client that that has a propensity towards something and you know offer it maybe you should try this i had a, an athlete a softball player uh eighth grade she came in she's a good athlete she's probably about in eighth grade she's probably like five eight five nine you know looked athletic but mom and Herbo said that she just was, you know, not real strong and wanted to get better at softball because she loves softball. And so we did some workouts. You know, we started getting through. And, you know, in my testing, we did a vertical jump test. And at in eighth grade, I don't remember what she weighed. But, again, she was about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, so tall for an eighth grader. She jumped probably like a 25-inch vertical. And I was just like, huh. She's tall and has a vertical. So as we start working out a little bit more, I noticed she does have quite a bit of just overall strength. Really, it was just coordination and timing that she was lacking. 
So we start, you know, working more on just general strength, things were, or general timing and coordination. And uh, those things started, she really started to kind of come together. And, and although all of those things and attributes could definitely help her in um, softball, she just looked like a volleyball player. I mean, she just, she had all the physical attributes and the abilities, but she just looked like a volleyball player. If you think of a volleyball player in your head, this is what she looked like. So one day I just mentioned it to mom, you know, we were, she was stretching, kind of cooling down. I was just chit-chatting with mom and I was like, has she ever played volleyball? Cause she'd be really good at it. I mean, she's just got the physical abilities for that. And she's like, you know, she's talked about it, but she's never done it. And so she was scared to try out going into freshman year next year because she's never played it. And some of her friends have been playing forever. She thought she'd be behind, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, if she really wants to, or if she's thought about it, I would, you know, push her into at least trying out because I really think she's got the skills for it. And of course she goes in, she does well, and then she becomes an all state volleyball player and eventually goes on to play in college. And, and again, that's just one of those things that you as a trainer, as a coach can see skills and you can see how the body moves and you can make your suggestions based off of that. Another example in with a regular client, a non-athlete or non-competitive athlete is, you know, you might have someone that comes in that wants to do something and uh, to help get them motivated, you know, you notice that based on how they're built or what they seem to excel in, maybe they're good at, they're, they're really strong. So you add in, hey, maybe, maybe you should, you know, train for a powerlifting meet. Maybe they don't want to be an actual competitive powerlifter. But it might give them something to train for. Or you bring that up and they're like, why? Why would I want to do that? And then you can say, well, I've noticed that, you know, you just naturally have really good form. You already have some natural strength to you without even really trying. If we cultivated that, you can be pretty good at that. Like for, you know, just some fun competitions or just, you know, see how much you can lift in general. And that may not be what they came in to do, but it might help serve them better uh, than what they, they originally wanted. You know, a lot of times I'll give a good example or I'll give an example of that. Say, this is coming from a personal example. A gentleman wanted to be a runner. Nothing wrong with that. He just loved running. He wanted to add a little bit of strength training to help his body handle the grounding, the grounding and pounding, the pounding of running. Uh, and so we were adding some strength and I was doing a lot of stuff, injury prevention, a lot of single leg work, a lot, you know, a lot of things to just help uh, solidify his, his form and his, in his, uh, core to help him be a better runner and i just noticed that whenever we would squat particularly he he just squatted really well had great form and and could handle a pretty good amount of weight right off the bat and so i just mentioned it to him i was like yeah you know if you ever want to train for more strength you you'd be really good at that and i think he just didn't think he was very strong in general and thought that just running would be the thing that got him in shape. It wasn't like he was trying to be a competitive runner. He just thought in his mind that running was the end-all be-all in terms of, you know, being in shape. Like, if I want to get in better shape, I've got to start running. I've got to do that. And, and again, don't get me wrong. Running's great for that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like to run every once in a while. Been doing more and more lately. But the point is, this is something that I noticed about him kind of mentioned it to him and it changed how we program and you know he's st he still does run every once in a while but he has gotten you know again full go on strength and power because he just 
was ready for that or just, just was built for that. So again, those are just some quick ideas to think about how how to switch someone up or when to switch something up. What do you do? How do you approach it? And then, you know, how basically, how do you progress? And again, leave comments below uh, about how you progress your clients. What are you doing with your athletes to progress them from week to week, month to month, from phase to phase? Okay, so we are going to move on to our next segment, which is our story time. Yes, great sound effects are still here. Um, oh. Almost lost my music there for a minute. Um, so I want to tell a funny story, um, and and there, there's a point to this, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna uh, get through the story first. So everybody, whether you have experiences as a trainer and seen a client or someone else in the gym, or you've been the person in the gym that's done this, everyone has embarrassed themselves in one form or another in the gym. Everything from the classic splitting your pants to, you know, tripping on a treadmill uh, or, you know, we see all the gym fail videos of people deadlifting and passing out. I don't really, I don't really call that. I mean, that could be embarrassing, but that's, that, that that's a different level. And we're talking about things that are somewhat beyond your control or just accidents or, you know, things like that. Uh, embarrassing things, but you're mortified at the time but eventually get over it, um, right? Or maybe, maybe not. So a couple of stories that I want to talk about. Uh, two, two really quick ones that are you know, embarrassing, but then kind of show that, you know, we'll, we'll get over it. So one uh, was a, a gentleman who uh, was swimming and uh, he was a swimmer. He came into the gym, you know, multiple times a week just to swim. And he always, uh, you know, kind of kept to himself, but, you know, nice enough guy. And one day he uh, must have packed the wrong thing, didn't even realize it. He always wore a Speedo for swimming and a somewhat light colored or white colored, I'll say. I think it was more like cream color. Didn't spend a lot of time looking at it, but uh, the idea was it was light, almost white color. Well, he grabbed something in the dark and it was just his regular briefs underwear. And when he got to the pool, he put them on, wasn't even thinking because what ultimately had happened was he was on the phone in the locker room and just put those on, didn't realize that he didn't actually have his trunks, but those were just some briefs. Walked out into the, into the pool area, still on the phone, standing there in his underwear, thinking he's wearing his white Speedos, which ultimately, you know, I don't know from just a sheer, you know, optics perspective, why one is more embarrassing than the other. But, you know, standing there in your underwear seemingly is more embarrassing than standing there in a swimsuit, even if the swimsuit is less material than the underwear. But, you know, he stood there for a second and then someone came over and mentioned it to him. And he, you know, just like turned red, ran inside, grabbed the stuff and was gone. And we didn't see him for, you know, for a while. And someone said, do you think he's just that embarrassed about being in his underwear? I mean, yes, it's embarrassing, but you know, we hate, hate for him to leave just because of that. Because no one, no one was offended. No one really was upset. They were just like, hey, do you know you're in your underwear? And no, he did not. And he panicked. So 
so I, I actually reached out to him. They, they asked me, just being a guy, to reach out to him and talk to him. Hey, I'd love to see you back in here. And he's just like, I just don't think I can show my face. I just, I'm so embarrassed. Everyone saw me and I'm such an idiot. I was such a dumb, I'm like, look, we've all done stupid things in the gym. Um, so I told him a story about how when I was teaching a class in front of, you know, maybe 10 or 15 people, uh, it was in the winter, this back in Kansas, and I had those tearaway snap pants, right? And I uh, was up, and it was a, a cross between like a step aerobics class with some weights. Um, it's just kind of a general, you know, uh, floor aerobic type class. So we're doing some stuff, and I kind of demonstrate a little bit, but then they would go on and I would make sure form was okay. I was starting to get a little hot, a little sweaty, so I just, you know, reached down to like, boom, do the whole, you know, rip tear away pants thing. And I did. And I was wearing my tidy whities there, right in front of everybody, ripped my pants off right there. Forgot that I had not put shorts underneath the thing. So not only was I in my underwear in front of everyone, but this is in front of my class, you know, my job where I'm gonna have to show up tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And so yes, that was very embarrassing. I felt like an idiot, uh, but I also felt like I hope I didn't offend anyone, right? You know, that was obviously also on my mind. And of course, you know, I, you know, ran into the bathroom and, you know, assembled my pants back together and came back out, apologized profusely, tried to get through the class, but I was so flustered that I just kind of was like, you know, this is what we're doing and just kind of hurried to get done with the class. And then I ran back into the bathroom afterwards because I did not want to talk to anybody because I was embarrassed. And then I thought I was going to be in trouble, right? So I thought, great, I'm going to get fired or they're going to be upset with me or someone's going to, you know, file some sort of, you know, harassment complaint or something. I was terrified. I was honestly scared. I thought, I don't know what to do. So I went into my boss. I was going to be, you know, proactive and say, hey, look, here's the deal. This has happened. It was an honest mistake and blah, blah, blah. So I walked into my boss's office and I, and I was like, you know, pale as a sheet. And I was like, hey, this is what's going on. And she's like, oh, she's like, it's no big deal. She's like, a couple of people have already mentioned it to me. It was hilarious. They thought it was funny. Uh, and they said you handled it fine and it was great. And it was just all, you know, and no one really cared. And of course, being seen in your underwear in public is always embarrassing, but no one's going to, you know, like make fun of you too hard. They might make fun of, the whitey tighties instead of, you know, boxer briefs or something like that. But that was, you know, you can take that kind of ribbing. But again, it was all in good fun. And I realized that no one was really mad. Everyone thought it was just, you know, funny and comical and you kind of get over it. And then you can kind of make a joke. And, you know, the next day I went in, Hey, don't worry. got shorts on or, you know, or like pretend you're checking. Oh, definitely got shorts on today here. You know, when you take your sweatpants off. So I told him that story and it made him feel a little bit better and he, you know, came back into the gym. And so we've all done it, right? We've all embarrassed ourselves. We've all done something silly, something stupid. Um, but there are uh, ways, or I should say, everyone's been there. And so no one is going to ridicule you or mock you or, you know, you, you, you're not going to be run out of town just because you did something stupid or fell in the gym. Um, there's a whole host of power lifters, women power lifters. I'm sure it happens with men, but what's online right now is a lot of women power lifters who are, you know, peeing themselves during heavy deadlifts, which in these videos that they're showing is glorifying it a little bit 
too much in my opinion. Like it is a normal thing. It's completely normal, completely happens all the time. We have clients all the time due to jumping or heavy lifting, the Valsalva movement, and we know why, but they're mortified at the time. Oh my gosh, I peed my pants and it happens. And we know it's completely normal and natural and it's not a big deal at all. Uh, it's completely normal, uh, especially for you know uh, certain populations. And so it's just nothing that any trainer is really gonna ever balk at. So if you're working with a client and that actually happens, which has happened many times with clients I've worked with and Chelsea's worked with, it's not even a big deal. You know, and they may be mortified, but then you remind them like, look, this happens weekly. This is very common. And they just, they don't realize it. They don't realize it's that, you know, so it's, it's still maybe a little embarrassing. You still don't want that to happen, right? But it's not something that is, you know, completely weird or something that we're gonna be like, oh my gosh, here comes that lady who pees herself, you know? But again, you have to reassure them uh, about that. And then generally they can kind of get over it. And then they just know like, hey, if we're going to do any jumping jacks, I'm going to go to the bathroom first, you know, and they can make a joke about it and, and it's all good. So I guess the point of this story is if you or your client or someone you know have embarrassed themselves in the gym, don't, uh, don't fear, don't worry. Everyone's been there. And most people are worried about embarrassing themselves to not pick on you or worry too much about you embarrassing yourself. <laughs> All right. I hope, hope you like that story. Oh, you did. Oh, good. Oh, that's loud. I might have to really get my different, uh, uh, different sound effects going. I'm going to, uh, put this on pause real quick. Okay. Sorry. Had to, someone came in the gym, had to go take care of business. Um, so uh, what I wanted to talk to you today about was a uh, uh, the study uh, portion of, of our podcast. Moving on to that, uh, nothing too crazy. I'll, again, I'll link the uh, um, I'll link the actual study below uh, in the in the description. But it was a study done by uh, Tiago uh, Lasavicious, Lasavicious, Brad Sconefeld et al. Um, and it was about muscle failure promotes greater hypertrophy in low load, but not in high load resistance training. Anyways, what the aim of the study was, they looked at doing light weights, reps to failure, light weights, reps not to failure, heavy weight, reps to failure, and heavy weight not to failure. And they're kind of looking at strength and size gains. And what they found that with, with respect to size gains um, and, and, and strength gains um, is that obviously with um, a uh, um, heavy load, the heavy load, both, both heavy load um, groups increase strength more than the lighter load. So strength got bigger or strength got um, better. But when it came to the uh, higher intensity or the reps to failure, the, the low load or lightweight reps to failure increased size more than the low load reps not to failure. And there was virtually no difference between the high load reps to failure and high load reps not to failure. In other words, they both saw an increase. Um, but what that would help us do is, again, if we're going to train with lighter loads, 
training to failure might be advantageous. If we're training with heavier loads, training to failure, uh, it, it will, it, it will, you know, get you stronger and it will get you a little bit bigger, but it, um, but you don't have to go to failure. You can still get the same benefits according to this study, uh, training not to failure with the heavy on the heavier loads. And that's good because, you know, that saves some reps and some energy for other things in your training, other workouts, other, um, you know, other body parts, other, um, sets for that, um, muscle group with the different exercises. So if you're squatting and that's your main lift and you're going heavy and you don't go to failure, uh, but we do the heavy resistance, um, not to failure that, that leaves some in the tank. So then I can go do some lunges and work some single leg unilateral stuff. Whereas if I went to failure, maybe I'd be completely shot. I still might get some gains, uh, in strength and size, but leaving a little bit in the tank to, uh, do some ex other exercises will again, help you grow in, in m multiple ways in, in more ways. So it's a really interesting study. It really didn't tell us anything we didn't already know, but that's good sometimes to have a study that reinforces and bolsters everything that we've, we thought we knew or thought we've been doing. It's good to have a check-in and sure enough it does. So again, uh, just very briefly, if you're training lighter loads, going reps to failure will definitely increase your hypertrophy. Um, when you are training with heavy loads, both reps to failure, reps not to failure will help with hypertrophy, but not any different from each other. So in that case, why go to failure if you don't need to and save some energy for other stuff? All right. So um, I'm going to do my motivational minute in a separate podcast this week. Um, and I'm going to, uh, it's going to be a little bit longer, but I've got a good one. So we'll talk about that. I'll probably post both of these on the same day. So it, one will be a companion to the other. So have a good one and I will talk to you soon.